You know, some of you have met my son, Miles. Miles is a lot like me. He's opinionated. He's talkative. He doesn't know a stranger. And he likes to communicate all of his beliefs, thoughts, and ideas with any and everyone that he meets. He spoke relatively early for a boy. His first word was dog, in reference to our Karen Terrier mutt, Bruce. Mom and dad followed close behind. It all culminated in his favorite word, no. I don't remember what his first sentence was. I don't remember when he said, I love you. But I do remember the very first paragraph he ever said. It was after church. He was deep in thought, as Miles often gets, as I do. He calls it dad's thinking face, where I'm asleep with my eyes open looking at something. He was deep in thought, looking at the ground, and I heard him say, Almighty God. To you, all hearts open, desires known, no secrets hid. Cleanse hearts, inspirish Holy Spirit. I thought, wow, all right. My son's first paragraph was the prayer of purity. This is my favorite prayer in the entire Book of Common Prayer. There are many beautiful prayers in this book. While I would say that the Anglicans might not be the world's best theologians, I'll admit that. We might not be the world's best leaders, definitely admit that, but we do have the most beautiful liturgy, and that's undeniable. And of all the liturgy, in my mind, the prayer of purity is the most beautiful. You know, as we continue in our sermon series through the shape of the liturgy, I'd like to look at the prayer of purity today. This prayer that the Lord would open up our hearts, open up our lips, and by his Holy Spirit, worship through us, to magnify the name of God, to love him with our whole hearts, to serve him. You know, we're preaching through this series called The Shape of the Liturgy, how the liturgy is shaped and how the liturgy shapes us, recognizing that as we worship liturgically in a given format, we believe that these repeated practices disciple us, they form us, they shape us into specific kinds of people. Last week, Kyle Uh, reminded us that each week we begin with praise. Every week we enter into the courtroom of God, praising his good and perfect name. We sing songs that reveal how good he is, and then we proclaim, blessed be God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and blessed be his kingdom now and forever. We start by blessing the name of God, but then there's a shift in the liturgy. Then we begin to look at ourselves and recognize we aren't capable of blessing the name of God on our own. Each and every week we recognize that we bring baggage to church with us. We might have gotten into a fight with our family on the drive-in. We bring in our sin. We bring in our laziness. We bring in our distraction. And we recognize so often that we aren't ready or capable of praising God's good and perfect name on our own. And so each week, first, we confess that to God, that our hearts are open before him. And when we say our hearts are open before him, this isn't saying, oh God, you know the sweet diary passages that I write about you in my heart. Although there is truth in that too. Lord, you know my heart. I do want to worship you, but you also know how sinful my heart is. And so we confess that. And then we also cry out to God for help, recognizing that we cannot bless his perfect name on our own. 
And we call down the Holy Spirit to move within our moving, to act within our acting, to worship perfectly when we can't worship on our own. And so we pray, Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord. Amen. So I'd like to look at this beautiful prayer together, but I'd like to look at it fundamentally through its root biblical passage. What you'll see is most of these prayers come from Thomas Cramner, the reformer, and there was always a specific text that he utilized to write these beautiful prayers. Most of the prayers in the Book of Common Prayer, even in the Collects, are just ways of communicating Scripture in maybe a way that's not word for word. But if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Psalm 51, and you will notice that while it's not word for word, the theme is absolutely there. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Psalm 51, beginning in verse 1. And what I want to do today is just look at two things. First, the prayer of purity is a confession that we aren't ready and we aren't capable to worship on our own. And then it's a prayer of entreaty. Particularly, it's a charismatic prayer that the Holy Spirit would descend upon us with his gifts of love and power to worship through us when we can't worship on our own. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Psalm 51, one of the most beautiful psalms in all of Scripture. To the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone in to Bathsheba. According to your st- have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. And take not your Holy Spirit from me. You know, it's important to remember that all over the Bible, you see these headings all over the place. You know, Jesus meets John the Baptist. You know, the angel meets Mary. All these different things. I think in this one, it says, create in me a clean heart, O God. And it's in dark, bold print at the top. Do you see that in your Bibles? Well, just below it, I don't know, some of them have them. Just below it, you'll see, especially in the Psalms, in italics, another heading. And the other heading says this to the choir master, a Psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone in to Bathsheba. 
Now, often we skip over that thinking, that's just a heading. You don't have to pay attention to headings in the Bible because they aren't divinely inspired. However, in the Psalms, when you see the subheading that's in, often in italics, those are in all of the original manuscripts. Those are actually important for us to recognize, and those ought to be viewed, as far as we can tell, as divinely inspired scripture. Now, Bruce Waltke, who's in our diocese, actually, and uh, is one of the most prolific Old Testament scholars that's been alive in the past 30 years, makes a really strong case for this if you ever want to look into it in a more research-based way. But why am I saying this? It's important to recognize that the backdrop of Psalm 51 is David having his greatest shame, his greatest sin revealed. David, who stole Bathsheba from Uriah the Hittite, who had Uriah killed, also endangering the lives of his men and potentially ruining a campaign, a military campaign. And then Nathan comes to him and he tells this parable, you know, if some of you remember it, about a rich man who has a bunch of sheep and a poor man who only has one little ewe lamb and how the rich man steals the one little ewe lamb. And David basically calls down judgment on the rich man. And then Nathan says, you are the man. His sin is revealed. His sin is brought into the open. And his sin eventually divides the kingdom And it's from this place that we see he prays and cries out to God, recognizing that his sin is always before him, recognizing that he was born in iniquity, but also praying that he would be cleansed and purified. He would be washed whiter than snow, that God would create in him a clean heart because the corruption of his heart was revealed not only to him, but his entire court. He prays that God wouldn't cast him away from his presence, nor remove his Holy Spirit from him. He prays for mercy. And family, each and every week, when we come together in worship, we have the same prayer on our lips. Each and every week, we pray, Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. You know, it's interesting St. Augustine points out that if God truly is infinite, if he's the very ground of being, which we have to affirm, although some people today don't, then he's closer to us than we are to ourselves. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows all of your mixed motives. He knows your desire to worship, and yet he also knows the sin that you bring with you. And yet, what does he do? Just like David, he still calls you to come and enter into relationship with him. You know, this whole question of, you know, are we a seeker-sensitive church? Well, Anglicans are a seeker-sensitive church because we bid sinners to come and celebrate and worship a God who sees all of your baggage, all of your sin, all the corruption of your heart, and still says, come and worship. You see, each week we get to confess. Each week we get to recognize that, you know, we come tired. And some days we say, I would rather be sleeping than at church. And you might feel guilt over that, but God already knows it. So just confess it and own it. You might have gotten into the argument on the way in. I remember 
I don't get to drive into church with my family, but I do remember as a child doing it. And you kind of come into church disheveled, tired, after having just gotten into an argument the whole way in. I remember I got in especially trouble on Easter Sunday, because my sons and I are very similar. When I took markers and decided to really dress up for Easter Sunday by putting Tigger stripes, because he was my favorite character, I got in a lot of trouble that Easter Sunday. Maybe some of you are struggling with severe doubt about the goodness of God, about the truth of resurrection life in Jesus Christ. And you're asking, am I a hypocrite and should I even be here? The Lord knows that and the Lord welcomes you anyway. You see, week in and week out, when we confess that he knows exactly where we are, we also recognize that he still bids us to come. Because the prayer doesn't end there. The prayer goes on, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit that we may do something that we can't do. That we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord. He calls us not only to confess our sins, but also to shift into a posture of reliance upon the Holy Spirit to worship in us and through us. Look back at Psalm 51 with me. We see this shift even in our passage today. Look at verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. O God of my salvation and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I will give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. We see David transition, just like we see in the prayer of purity, to a crying out to God to do a work in him that he can't do. First, he says, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, show me the path to enter into the spiritual exercises that I need to create a clean heart in myself. Show me what I need to do to get rid of my own sins. He says, create in me a clean heart. Give me a spirit that I can't make in myself. We see fundamentally that he's crying out to God for a miracle to take his heart of stone and to turn it into a heart of flesh. He continues, uh, David prays that God would restore to him the joy of salvation. I mean, think about it for a moment. How often when we have a sin that is ever before us, we see God primarily as a just judge. And he is a just judge. He is the one who is holy. He is the one who is perfect. He is the one who is righteous. 
He's the one who has no blot or darkness within him. And our sin is ever before us. And what do we desperately want? We want to re-enter into a relationship of joy with our Father in heaven. You know, again, I'm going to bring up Calvin here. He says at the very heart of the Christian message is a turn. A turn from viewing God as a just judge to viewing God as a benevolent father through our union with Jesus Christ. You see, each week what we do is invite you to come and have joy in the salvation that you've been given. Joy in the reality that your sins have been removed from you. Joy in the truth that our God has chosen to spoke his life over you. Joy in the truth that we celebrate in the Eucharist every week, that through the shedding of Christ's blood, your sins are removed from you as far as the east is from the west, and he feeds you with his very body as his beloved children. Each week we are invited to have joy in the salvation that has been given to us. A salvation that David only saw as a foreshadowing, but we see in its fullness. David continues... He prays that God would uphold him with a willing spirit. Uh, Some passage, some translations say, give him a willing spirit. You see, so often, how do we view the will of our spirit? Well, that's my job. And then God has his job, but none the two shall meet. However, if God's closer to me than I am to, to myself, and I don't understand how this works, and historically, good theologians have always said, we don't fully know how this works. But somehow or another, God can will within your willing. God can act within your acting. God can move within your moving. A willing that you're still responsible for. A willing that you still recognize as a movement of your heart and yet a movement that is first moved by the power of the Holy Spirit. One of my favorite verses in the entire Bible is verse 15. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. He recognizes that his lips are sealed by guilt. His lips are sealed by shame. His lips are like rocks that have been forged together. And in fear he hides. And yet God can open his lips. Just as he can open yours each and every Sunday. Just as he can move you to be a true worshiper when you might not be feeling it that day. David recognizes the beginning to end, that the worship that he can offer to God, the relationship that he can bring to God is an act of grace. And family, this is what we recognize week in and week out when we say this prayer. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. A terrifying reality. And yet we pray, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your name through Christ our Lord. While we recognize our place of not being able to worship on our own, we also recognize the grace of God that when his Holy Spirit comes upon us, he can do two things that we can't do. Perfectly love and worthily magnify the name of God. Now, it's interesting that Cramner decided to phrase it that way. Perfectly love and worthily magnify the name of God. Especially when he's talking about the work of the Holy Spirit in us to worship. 
Now, I've shared this with you all before, but our church is named Trinity Anglican for a reason, because I think the Trinity is pretty important. Now, in historical Trinitarian theology, the persons of the Trinity are differentiated through relations of origin. Now, this gets very complicated. It kind of really started with Augustine, then reached a high mark with Thomas Aquinas, and Calvin did a great deal of work with it. Bart took it in some weird directions, but that's neither here nor there. The Trinity is really important. So the Father is the Father because he has a Son, but he has no relation of origin. He is the fountain of life. The Son is the Son because he has a Father who eternally begets him. And when the father gazes upon his perfect son, and when his perfect son gazes upon the father, what is breathed forth? The love of God. And that love of God proceeds as the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. But it's interesting, all throughout, you know, especially during the high time of Nicaea, where you get the Nicene Creed, God the Holy Spirit is always viewed as the love of God. We see, especially with Romans 5, 5, that uh, God's love has been poured into our hearts by his Holy Spirit. He is the love of God. But we also see, especially with a theologian named Jonathan Edwards, the greatest American theologian, although he considered himself an Englishman, we'll take him. He's an American. He also points out that all through Scripture, the Holy Spirit is also revealed as the will or power of God. The will or the power of God. We see this in the beginning when the Spirit hovers over the waters, creating order out of chaos. We see it when God breathes, which the word breathes is ruach, which ruach means spirit. When God breathes his spirit upon Adam and he becomes a living person. The very first person had a spirit-filled life. We were meant to be filled with the spirit. All throughout the Old Testament, we see when God needs to do something powerful, the spirit descends. The spirit descended, my favorite was as a child, the spirit descended upon Samson. And he started cracking skulls, right? Every young boy's favorite character. And we always miss that he's mostly a cautionary tale. But as a child, you forget that piece. (laughs) He descends on all kinds of people in the Old Testament, do incredible things. And our gospel reading today, you might have said, why do we read that gospel reading today? What do we see? The Holy Spirit descends upon Mary in power. And the second Adam is breathed forth. In John chapter 20, when Jesus meets his disciples after his resurrection, he breathes upon them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. And what do they go do? Powerful works of establishing the kingdom of God. We see this charismatic gift all throughout the scriptures of the Holy Spirit being breathed forth as power. Now, what do we pray? That we may perfectly love you. Now, I don't know about you, but... In creaturely realities, we can't do anything perfectly. Because to do anything perfectly means you do it maximally. Only an infinite being can do that which is, you know, maximally perfect. Therefore, to perfectly love God, it has to be a work that the Holy Spirit does. As love himself moves you to love. You can't perfectly love, but he can perfectly love through you. And to worthily magnify the name of God. His name deserves perfect magnification. 
Because it's infinitely perfect. Something I can't do and you can't do, but the Holy Spirit does in the perfect life of the Trinity. And therefore, every Sunday when we pray that the thoughts of our hearts would be cleansed by the Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. What are we praying? Holy Spirit, do a work in me that I can't do on my own. Now, why is this such good news? Because many of us come to church worn out. We come to church feeling completely spent, having nothing left to give. We come with our doubts. We come with our fears. We come with our anxieties. We come with our sins. And yet, we come recognizing that we can still worship because it's God who chooses to worship through us in this place. You know, there's a lot of new people here, so some of you don't know this part of my life, but when we first planted this church, I could barely get out of bed, let alone lead a church when I was 20, 28 or 29. My cousins had just gotten killed. They were 16 and 18. They would be adults by now. They were killed in a reckless car driving accident. They were like my little sisters. I'm the youngest. And uh, I miss them terribly still. I remember most Sundays, I just could barely make it. I could barely get out of bed most days. I thought I was a pretty smart person at the time. I don't know if any of you ever been through this in grief. And grief just steals your brain, steals your energy. It saps life right out of you. And yet each week when I came to church, I could pray the prayer of purity. And I could say, Lord, if any worship's going to happen here today... It's going to be because of you. Holy Spirit, if my heart's going to move, it's going to be because you moved it. Holy Spirit, if I can actually be present to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and be present to the people that you've entrusted to me when I'm way too young to be leading this church, it's going to be because of you. And family, that gift is given to you each and every Sunday. It's not about you working yourself up into a frenzy. It's not about you feeling it. It's it's not about you finding a source of strength in yourself. It's about you finding your source of strength outside of yourself. It's about you giving up trying to control all parts of your life, even your worship. It's about recognizing that life won't happen. Uh, A life with God won't happen if you just get yourself into the groove. It happens purely as a gift given from the Holy Spirit. Each week we confess our sins and each week we cry out independence. Lord, move me. Lord, move me to love. Lord, move me to worthily magnify your name. Lord, do a work that I can't do in myself. So if you are in a bad place right now, If you are in a place where you are doubting your faith, if you're in a place where you feel stale, if you are in a place where you aren't feeling it, or if you are in a place where you are incredibly blessed, recognize that you get to come each week and you get to cry out to the one who hears you. And he promises that his spirit will move within your moving, act within your acting, love within your loving, magnify within your magnifying to give praise and honor to your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have promised to give us your Holy Spirit, 
Spirit, would you move within us today? The one who is love himself. Give us love. The one who is will and power himself. Raise up our voices to magnify the praise of Jesus. All to the glory of the Father. Amen.